Hey, Sales Left Nation, it's your host, Tyler Lindley. Today, I have Joe Sponsi on the podcast. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Hey, Tyler. Hey, did I get the last name right? We didn't even talk about that. Did I pronounce that correctly? Pretty close. It's Sponsia. Sponsia. Okay, perfect. Joe is the CEO and founder of actually three different businesses, Holson Logistics, Mobile Wrenchworks, and Sunshine Transit Group. And Joe has been a lifelong sales rep, now turned entrepreneur. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about on today's show. The differences between selling for someone else and I guess selling for yourself, selling when you're the, actually a business owner and entrepreneur. It's something that you and I both have in common. We both sold. We've both been entrepreneurs. There's a big difference between the two, Joe. And I'm curious to hear that evolution that you had. You started out selling and now you've evolved into business ownership. What was that journey like for you? How did you make that transition? That's a very broad question. I'll try to hit the high points of it. When I went to college, I frankly didn't know what I wanted to do. And I think that's the case with a lot of folks. They change majors multiple times. I changed two or three times. I remember my father-in-law said, sales, you can make the most money with the least education because I was a physical therapy major before that. And I looked at all the schooling I had to do and I just said, man, this is not for me. I was a C student in high school, C student in college, not because I was dumb, but because I worked all the time. Mm. I worked 40 hours a week, typically during college. and 60 hours a week in the summers to pay for my school. So didn't leave a lot of time to study, but I knew I had to get that piece of paper to get out. But that was really impetus for me getting into sales and exactly what my father-in-law told me back then come true. It was and still is the most entrepreneurial position in any company, a place where you can pretty much write your own ticket if you're determined and have that desire. Also a lot of stress that comes with it, but being in sales and leading territories, leading people over time, it teaches you so many things about becoming an entrepreneur and how eventually you could start your own business. I think if you're 5% leaning that way at all as a personality type, I think sales is a great place to start. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. It sounds like you were thinking about entrepreneurship a lot throughout your sales career. How long were you actually doing sales? And then at what point did you make that pivot? And how did you know when you were ready? Or did you know you were ready? I didn't know. I've written 13 business plans. Most were 60 to 80 pages long, very detailed. And the 14th one was the shortest one I've ever written. And it's the businesses that my business partner and I have now. And it just made sense. Everything else, actually writing out a business plan teaches you if the business is viable and if you want to put it all on red and risk everything and do it. And it's always been in me. I think I wrote my first one at 23 years old, right out of college. And over time, I've looked at business. I always look at businesses, but these were something that I thought, man, this is something that I could do. The problem with sales, though, is it's a good problem. And I guess a tough problem to deal with is typically we make pretty good income. We have to deal with a lot of stress, but if you're making good money, you're not working 60 hours a week and the working environment is pretty good, you go, why would I ever get off this train? The problem is though, things change. You get territory realignments, you get giant quotas, you get a new boss. I've been through murders, acquisitions, the whole bit, and things change over time. So if I could ride the train out when I was 24 and 32 and some of the jobs I've had and the way they've structured my pay, Maybe we wouldn't be on this video call now, (laughs) but the fact is things do change and companies change over time. It's always good to have a plan B. Mm -hmm. We were talking about that before we started recording. You mentioned having the end in mind where you think about where do you want your life to be when you're 50, 60, 70 years old and you're maybe near retirement or just near the end of your life. Do you think a lot of sales reps or entrepreneurs, anybody that we're talking about for that matter, do you think a lot of folks go through that? I know you said a lot of people reach out to you for help planning and goal setting and those kind of things. 
do people have the end in mind when they think about their sales career or their entrepreneurship career, or whatever they're doing? I will say the vast majority don't think that far ahead. It's frankly depressing <laughs> to think that far ahead for some folks. And I've taught goal setting for gosh over 25 years. And I think the great majority of folks have a really hard time, even with the methodology that I've taught, with actually sitting down, writing these things down and embracing. It's really hard when you have dreams in your head, those are okay. When you actually take the time to write them down, you see them on paper, then you write a plan and then you go, oh crap, I'm actually going to have to do this. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. And that's something that, frankly, it's not taught in schools. Most parents don't teach that to their children. It's something that I was fortunate to learn early in my life through Tony Robbins of the world with his book, Unlimited Power. Zig Ziglar talked about that in the early 90s. Tom Hopkins, Stephen Covey, all those folks had sections in books or tapes at the time. I used to ride around the car with tapes and they would go through goal setting. And that always stuck with me. So to come full circle, we talked a little bit early before you started recording. The number one thing I get with folks as far as advice goes is how do I transition from becoming a sales rep to owning my own business? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And the very first question I always ask them is, where are you now? Where do you want to be? And what does 65 look like for you? And pretend you lived another 15 years after that. What does 80 look like? And most people, frankly, they're ill-prepared for it. That's the process that I want to help them work through so they can make sure, hey, if I work for a company, this is what it looks like. Here's what I need to save. If I want to do my own thing, how do I do it? And how do I transition? Yeah, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm ill-prepared for that. So maybe I need to have some of those conversations with myself or with you as well. We're talking about sales reps and maybe making this transition to business ownership. Is that a seamless transition? If you're in sales and you have a territory or doing well as an individual contributor or sales manager, do you have the right skill set or mentality needed to be a business owner as well? Do you see that as a path that a lot of sales reps should take or is that dependent on the person really? I think it's risk tolerance. And let's just broadly say, I think salespeople in general are the most risk tolerant in a company. So the ones that I've met in my lifetime have come out of the sales ranks overwhelmingly. They may have climbed up to director, vice president, chief revenue officer, but overwhelmingly, those people are the ones that I see that do that. It's really an individual decision with folks. And I relate stories, at least on LinkedIn all the time. I grew up very poor. My parents were 16 and 17 when they had me and good athlete in school. I didn't learn to play golf until I was 20 years old, hung up my college baseball spikes. And I remember meeting people and they said, you really need to learn to play golf. And I was like, no, it's a rich guy's sport. And what people that can't play basketball, football, and baseball, it's what they do. So it's not really athletic. But through that, I met so many great people. And out of all the meetings, I eventually joined a, a country club. Again, something I never would have dreamed of. But in those conversations, led me lately to repost some of those things. And it was a lot around, hey, who's the most happy at the club? Mm. Who's beside you that, how did they do that? And the number one theme that I kept hearing is, hey, you're good at what you do. You believe in yourself. You put out good results. Eventually, you're just going to have to put it all on red and you're just going to have to do it. I don't know when it's going to be, but that's what everybody does. Gotcha. We talked a little bit about it. You can make great money in sales. A lot of sales reps, like you mentioned, they have that risk tolerance. It is can be a stressful and anxious environment to work in. However, if you can manage that, you can make a great living. Do people want to transition from being a sales rep to a business owner? Do you think mainly a financial decision or is it more about control? Why do you think people even want to make that transition? Because you can do great in sales. Why even try to make that leap? 
for me personally, it's freedom. It's freedom to start my work at five o'clock in the morning if I want to. It's freedom to go to the gym at 11 o'clock in the morning if I want to. It's free to work at six to nine o'clock because my operation, our operation runs 24-7 all the time. We are always shipping something. So I could work anytime I want. I can also not work whenever I want as an option. Mm-hmm. I think as it relates to sales, I'm 49 years old. I have worked straight commission. I've worked with very low salary with high commission. I've had my pay plan change seven to nine times over a 25-year career. I've had mergers. I've had acquisitions. I've had buyouts. I've been quoted. Everybody has quotas. I've had giant leaps in quotas. I've had territory splits. I've had all kinds of things over the years. And the thing about sales, and if you've done it for 10 years, your journey is going to be like mine. It looks like a mountain range because as soon as you do great, there goes your quota or, you know what, we've got someone else that's going to come behind you and take all the farmland that you've plowed and we're going to give them that. And you're this great hunter that can always open new accounts and what's a blessing becomes a curse. Mm. A lot of folks, I think you're only as good as your last quarter in sales sometimes. And it's like sports. If Scotty Pippen back in the nineties suddenly had a bad season, well, they'd trade him. They do this with players all the time in sports leagues and they do it with sales folks too. So you always have to be a student of your craft, but you also have to always watch your back because as you succeed, the pressure gets higher and eventually you'll either go with the flow and continue to rise or it'll be frustrating, especially with new bosses, pay plan changes. There's just a million things that could happen and I've been through every one of them. Yeah. You mentioned earlier thinking about having that plan B because of all the volatility. Should everyone in sales have a plan B? Should they be thinking about either other sales opportunities that they might need to transition to or transitioning to owning a business themselves? You definitely were with 13 business plans before you actually started your own business. Was that healthy for you to have those thoughts and thinking about those things? Or was that distracting from your sales career? That's a great question. It was not distracting for me. When I was 18, 19 years old, I read Tony Robbins' Unlimited Power. In the very first chapter in the book, he talks about finding people that are already getting the results that you want and copy their playbook. And he gives examples of multiple people in multiple industries that have done that. And when I was 21, 22 years old, in my hometown, I grew up in a small town, and I had friends who had successful parents that were presidents of banks vice presidents of big manufacturing plants. And I would call them and have lunch with them as a kid and offer to buy their lunch. And naturally, it never made me pay. But that habit that I stumbled upon because of Tony Robbins' book led to a lot of conversations that were always, you always need to be talking to people. You always need to have mentors. You always need to be in front of people. And their advice was always, hey, if you're asking the questions you're asking down the road, these are things you need to keep in front of you. So business for me, becoming a business owner has always been in the back of my mind. But again, when you're 32 years old and you make $185,000 a year in the early 2000s, it's great money. It's great money today. Yeah. And you work 30, 32 hours a week. You take off half a day on Friday, meet your friends for golden tea and a round of golf. <laughs> Life is good yeah. until it's not good, until all the things that I mentioned happen. And so I think everyone needs to be well-educated on money. And I think everyone at 25 and 35 and 45 needs to do the math, needs to do the math on what 65 looks like and what 80 looks like. Mm -hmm. And that will give you, begin with the end in mind, that will give you the, oh my goodness, I'm behind or oh my goodness, I'm on track and this is cool. Yep. 
Exactly. You mentioned books a few times, Joe. It sounds like books played a key role in your life and your development as a sales professional, as a business owner. Talk to me a little bit about what do you read? Why do you read? What role have books played in your life? I probably can't stress enough how important reading has been in my life. I would say without a doubt, between probably 20 and now, I'll read between 10 and 15 books a year. I always have. I'm massively introverted, so I enjoy reading books anyway. But most of my books are self-help and psychology books. In the early days, though, we had cassettes, and the cassettes were Tony Robbins. They were Zig Ziglar. They were Tom Hopkins. They were Stephen Covey, Wayne Dyer, Brian Tracy. All those folks, when I was in the car, I was always learning. When I was at home, if I had 30 minutes, I would discipline myself to read for 30 minutes because there's all kinds of ideas out there. And I was frustrated because college, when I went, they only taught me how to work for other people. They didn't really tell me how to do what I'm doing now. And so all those business books, business leaders always talked about owning your own business and profit and loss and what it would be like. So again, those books were a lifeline to someone that was poorly educated and basically raised by children Mm -hmm. and my parents being so young. You mentioned college taught you how to work for other people. It sounds like a lot of the things that you learned throughout your sales career has now positively impacted the businesses that you own these days. What skills do you think from your sales background really help you now as a business owner? As simple as it is, I think salespeople have a lot of guts. They have to plan their day. I'm not saying people that are accountants or folks that are in customer service, they don't plan their days. But I remember at an early age, and I still do it today, I start my day off with a piece of paper. I write what I've got to do, and I cross it off. And as caveman as it is, you get in the habit of that. You make a big list, and it's got 20 items, and I cross off half. The other half goes to the next day. If it stays for a week, then it's not important. Those habits are something you have to have in sales. You have to be disciplined with your schedule, with your time, and you have to fit everything in between. A lot of sales jobs, frankly, have customer service components. They have prospecting in between. So it's not all I'm meeting people and having a shrimp cocktail at lunch and having a round of golf and I'm pressing flesh all day. A lot of it is a lot of rejection, as we all know. But I think those habits, those things translate really well, again, back to business ownership. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. You and I have talked a little bit about some of the downsides of sales, or I guess it probably impact business owners as well. It can be stressful. We've talked about that a few times, the mountains and the changes and the risk tolerance, the anxiety. Sales is a hard career as owning your own business is also difficult as well. Sometimes between the years, I'm talking about the mental aspect of being in sales, running your own show. How have you tried to remain balanced over the years? I think you can wear yourself out. You can sell for 60, 70 hours a week if you want to. What joy does it bring you at the end of the day? Mm. Money is a way to keep score. Money is a way to sometimes feed your ego. For me, money was always about freedom. It's the things that I could do with money. So it was never to become wealthy in sales. My goal with sales was I've been remote, really OG remote (laughs) since the mid 90s. I've barely worked in an office the entire time. Part of it was by luck and part of it was by the first two companies I worked for. They didn't have an office that I could go to. So I had to learn at an early age how to do this. And my thing, because I didn't grow up super close to my parents, when I met my wife in high school and college, our goal was maximum time with the family. And one story I remember, I'll share with you a quick one. I went down to Orlando to a conference 
It was in the late 90s, I recall, or maybe 2000. And I was in my 20s at the time. And there was a topic that was basically young people are lazy and they don't have the same work <laughs> ethic and phones were just starting to come out. And it was like this old school, lunch pail, 60, 65 year old, callous filled business owners are like, these kids are lazy. And we hear the same thing today. It's always been the case. These kids don't have the work ethic. And I remember it was basically a topic was bridging the generational divide. And the old guys started off with complaints. And I remember to this day, there was a young kid that impacted me to this day. He got very teary-eyed and he said, you know what? You're exactly like my dad. All you cared about was money and cars and a big house. And the only thing I wanted to do when I was a kid was have my dad play catch with me in the yard. And he was never there to do that. And you're exactly like my dad. And that's why I don't want to do extra for you. That's why I am the way I am, because money and time mean more to me than just being at a job breaking rocks all day. And the whole room cried. The old guy cried. It was just a really impactful moment. And that's been my theme my whole life is maximum time with my wife, with my children. And work was important, but it never defined who I was. And it was never a number one thing. So full circle work-life balance was always recharging my batteries with working out, getting outside, spending time, going on dates with my wife on a Friday, spending individual time with my kids, individual dinners, doing activities with them. That makes me happy. And I think everybody, frankly, is happier when they have that kind of life and is actually way more productive at work. I totally agree. It's funny. I was having a conversation last week with a newer sales rep. I coach a lot of new sales reps and we're having the conversation about how many hours should we be working? I'm working 60, 70 hours, 80 hours just to try to stay at the top of the board. And I was trying to give him the advice that probably not sustainable long-term. It's fine if you want to push it and that's what your goals are, but eventually you'll probably burn out. And I asked him, same question you just says, why are you doing it? What are you sacrificing to give that extra 10, 20, 30 hours? And I think it's an important conversation. And I think it's one that frankly, we don't have enough. How was your weekend? And what'd you do? And then here we go. We're going to grind for the next five days. And I think it's an everyday kind of conversation that a lot of sales leaders and reps and business owners out there don't have enough. To me, I can see it a little bit more now having kids and wanting to be there to throw the ball or to coach the team or whatever it might be. They're only going to be this age once. That's our barometer for decisions that they'll only be this age once. There's always more work to be done, but there's only one life that we live. It reminds me, I think that people, I heard this quote a long time ago, it was things depreciate over time and memories appreciate over time. So when you're on your computer, you know, look back on your phone or your computer and kind of look back at the old pictures, the pictures where you're with your children or you were doing a pretty cool activity, sometimes a mundane activity, those memories always appreciate over time. And the rewards that I've spent, things that I bought over time, they give you that quick, hey, I've earned this but then they go away pretty quickly. So I'd see that. I think as sales reps, you do have a certain type of freedom. Probably depends on your situation, depends on how well you're doing. What did you do for me last quarter? You have a level of autonomy and freedom in sales, but do you feel like you have way more control over that, owning your own business? And is that for you the key difference, the key driver? Yeah, again, it goes back to freedom and it goes back to control. And as you get older, you learn. My personality type was, as a child, unusually perfectionist. I was firstborn, so a lot of if you study birth order, it tells you a lot about human traits. But I grew up firstborn only. My brother's 10 years apart from me. I've got a sister that's 13 years younger. And 
first floor and onlys lean heavily perfectionist, heavily analytical or drivers. When that's your personality type, we sometimes create this perfect life in our minds and sales, it's about control. We have more control over our lives. And as you grow older, I shared with you earlier, my wife passed away in 2007, left with two kids. She was 32, I was 35. Things happen in life. You'll get fired. You'll get territory realignments. You'll get all these things. So control is an illusion. And I think the sooner that we learn that, you can control some things, but a lot of things are out of your control. You live a happier life. But I'll say, by and large, as a business owner, you have a lot more control over your life. You have a different kind of stress, though, that comes in on a daily basis. It's good stress because it's stress you've chosen. It's stress that when you're a sales rep, your CEO is seeing things 18, 24 months ahead and you get them 90 days ahead. You'll get a note or a message or a conversation that, hey, things are changing. Well, they know. And I know what's coming down the pike early on. I actually try to convey that to our team as early as possible. But you get a further out vision when you own your own business. I don't want to come across as working for someone is the worst thing ever. It's not. A lot of people do it. A lot of people are happy. I just want folks to message me individually. Mm -hmm. They always want to learn, how do you do it? How do you make the transition? How do you become an entrepreneur? And I just want to give people the option, the discussion that it can be done by anybody. Mm -hmm. I am medium intelligent, have really no special skill set other than doggedly determined on learning things, but anybody can do that. Well, it sounds like that determination has driven a lot of the things that you've done in life. Talking back about the books and the learning, the professional development, the situation when your wife passed, when you were early on, you had young kids, what did that change for you? What did you do differently after that situation? You talked about control as an illusion. Did you change the way that you approached your professional career, your family, your life? It's been almost 17 years. In 2005, she passed away in 2007. In 2005, I made great money was very stressed. I remember I was forgetting things. I'd leave my keys. I would leave my computer at odd places, couldn't find it, leave my wallet. I'd play golf and leave golf clubs and have to drive back to the golf course. It was just all the time. And I went and my wife said, something may be wrong. So I went and at the time went to see the doctor and the doctor said, I think it's stress, but let's do an MRI. And so I went downtown to Knoxville, had an MRI and it took about a week and a half to get the results back. And I remember I was in Nashville, Tennessee at the time. I was seeing a customer. It was about 11 o'clock in the day. And I got a message on my phone. that The nurse said, hey, we got the results of your MRI. We found some things on there the doctor needs to discuss. Call us when you can. You get a message like that. You're like, what in the crap is going on? So I was frantic. I was like, I'm dying. And I remember that day I went downtown to Nashville, this place called the Parthenon, mm. and got on a bench and I wrote 12 pages out. I thought, man, if I die in the next year, these are all the things I've got to convey to my children, my wife. That exercise and that scare changed my life. And when I talked to the doctor at five o'clock, I said, one, that was the worst message to ever leave on my phone. And two, the doctor said, you've got two benign cysts, so don't fight, don't box, don't do football on the weekends. And I was like, cool, we're good. But that exercise or that scare put me in the situation that the end was actually going to happen. And when my wife passed away two years after that, I was unprepared for that, but in a way I was. So out of that, for me personally, I've been a voracious reader, but also have always written things down. It essentially made me take reams and reams of notebook paper and things on my computer, little ideas. 
and basically write a book to my children. I had a big following on Tumblr when Tumblr was a thing at a time and almost got a book deal out of it for advice to my children. And the advice that I write on LinkedIn, I try to catalog that and organize that for my children. And basically it's what I've learned is most people don't know anything about their great-grandparents. Past their great-grandparents, it's two sentences, maybe. Once I'm gone, legacy, we're not going to be here to understand if legacy means anything or not. But I wanted to have something that my great-grandkids or those other generations could know about me and the things I've gone through that they could learn, that they could apply to their own lives. Instead of reading Tony Robbins' version or Stephen Covey's version, they read great-grandfather Joe's version of what he went through, and maybe they learn something from it. And maybe that's the most self-absorbed thing to say ever, but it's something that I would give a lot of money to have conversation with my great-grandparents that came over from Italy and what they went through and to hear them speak. And we just don't get that. And that's what happened out of those experiences was I wrote all the time and I still write all the time. I think that's something that is a healthy exercise. When you just write in general, write down advice, write down what happened today, whether those are just notes for you or whether you could turn that into something else. But those ideas, we have to capture them. We have to capture them because our brain loses them. It's important, whether you're in sales or you're in business, no matter what line of work you're in, Mm -hmm. those ideas, they're going to get lost. If we capture them, a lot less likely that we'll lose them forever. Joe, any parting words of advice for our audience, for sales reps out there thinking about business ownership or just for any other sales advice before we go? I think what I touched on earlier was sales career to this day, still the most entrepreneurial position you can have in any company. I would just advise people to always look at things, never turn down a conversation with someone that's getting a result that you wish you had. Always have those conversations, always investigate, go to your local buy, biz, sell website and look at businesses understand how they're run, understand how financing works and how profit and loss works and all the components of business, because it'll help you be a better salesperson when you understand those things. And some of the decisions that your leadership sometimes comes out with that seem a little funky, sometimes they'll feel like they're directed at you. A lot of times they are things that change in just the nature of business. So always look at things, never turn down a conversation with someone that's getting a result that you wish you had. Always have those conversations, always investigate, go to your local buy, biz, sell website and look at businesses, understand how they're run, understand how financing works and how profit and loss works and all the components of business, because it'll help you be a better salesperson when you understand those things. I think you look at a guy like Tom Brady, I'm sure he still hits the gym. I'm sure he still works on his craft. I'm sure before he goes, I know before game start, still practices the plays and still has a good off season. I think his sales reps, if you're not constantly learning, if you're not feeding your brain, if you're not practicing, you can't just show up and use your natural, amazing athletic or to run with the analogy. You can't run off your natural ability all the time. You have to hone your skills. And I think the time that you spend honing your skills payoff and dividends as far as pretend care of your family, advancing your career. And if you want to start your own thing, it's certainly a path to do that. Joe, if my listeners want to find out more about you online, how can they do so? LinkedIn, I hate to say, I don't do a lot of social media, but I love LinkedIn because I love like-minded people. I wish they'd connect with me on LinkedIn and send a private message. I told you over the phone earlier, I do two hours of coaching for free as a way to pay it forward and give it back. And a lot of people take me up on it. It's not really advertised, but if they want to reach out and just say, I'm lost, please help me. I'm happy to give them time because so many people have helped me in the past. So I'd love if they'd message me on LinkedIn and, and connect that way. 
Perfect. And we'll link to Joe's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So feel free to connect with Joe there. Joe, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate the conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Me too. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas. Now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.